Well, in the passage of Scripture that we'll study here today in Luke chapter 9, Jesus faces us with a question. A question that we most often really, really don't want to know the answer to. And that question is, is there ever a time when we should give up in our efforts to reach out to and to minister to a person or a group of people? Is there ever a time that we should give up on that ministry? Being a pastor that gets to know a lot of other pastors, I have been aware of the discouragement and the frustration that some pastors have suffered concerning their congregations. They know the lifestyles, the broken homes, broken family relationships that are taking place within their church. And week after week, those pastors pour out their hearts to those people. They pour out the gospel to their congregation. But then they often see very little change taking place. And eventually those pastors get so discouraged that they just give up and they go and find another church. Now the question again that's being presented to us in this scripture passage today is, is there ever a time when we should give up, just simply give up in our efforts to reach out to minister to a person or to a group of people? And folks, that question, that question becomes ever so difficult when it involves people who are very dear to us, perhaps intimate friends or even perhaps our own beloved family members. Here in our scripture passage today, Jesus was preparing his disciples to go out on their first missionary journey. And he knew that they would be faced with all manner of response from the people that they would encounter. And especially, they would encounter rejection. And so he was wise in facing them head on with that reality that there surely would be times that they would have to simply give up and walk away. Listen to these words. This is Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse... Four. There we read, now this is after the disciples would go out into the towns and countryside. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, Shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. As I've said to us on other occasions, one of the hazards of examining these scriptures in the manner that we do, line by line and verse by verse, is that we'll often run up against words like these. Words that we'd rather not deal with. Words that even run contrary to our normal thought processes, and even sometimes appear to be contradictory to other scriptures. Listen to these words again. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now here in these brief words, Jesus presents two sides of the gospel missionary effort. First, the one who gives the gospel message, the disciples. Then next, the receivers and their responses to the gospel message that's being given to them. 
Then after that, here in very clear words, Jesus adds this special addendum for those times that the receivers reject the gospel message that they're giving. And that special addendum brings that very important question to us for our consideration. Now that question again is this. Will there ever be a time when we as witnesses for Christ should intentionally give up our efforts to give the gospel to certain people? It's clear from these words of Scripture and it's clear from our own experience as we share our witness that there are some people, we each know some of those people, but there are some people, perhaps many, who want nothing at all to do with the gospel. The gospel is distasteful, even painful to their ears. And they'll do whatever they can to avoid that message. They instead choose that broader path of life that will accommodate their desired behavior and conduct. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 7. He said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few, few who find that. There are many people in today's culture who really do love the comfort and the convenience that they can enjoy as they walk this broader path of life. They want nothing to do with the restrictive nature of that narrow path. And they want nothing to do with the message of the gospel. And they freely express their feelings to us when we attempt to witness to them. And that response is not just limited to those people in those larger, more liberal cities. It's true also right here in our smaller towns. If I were to try to do as these disciples did go house to house in these neighborhoods, asking the people if I could stay with them for a few days while I preach to them and also to the people on the city streets. I have no doubt that I would be hard-pressed to find many people who would receive me. But now before we cast too many stones at all those other people, we really should think through those kinds of circumstances from our own perspective. Would you, would I feel comfortable in having a stranger come to live in my house, going out each day and preaching on the streets, even perhaps bringing some of his converts back into our home to disciple them further. Folks, unfortunately, unfortunately, you and I are creatures of comfort. We enjoy our privacy. And we also have this firm distrust for strangers. And besides that, we might not really believe like they do. And that was probably very much so with these disciples. The biblical teaching that these disciples were giving out was decidedly different from the message that those people in those towns had been hearing in their synagogues. Unfortunately for these disciples, they didn't have the advantage of a Billy Graham Association type team of forerunners that would go out and saturate an area with this advertising blitz announcing that the evangelists were coming to town with this special crusade. Now, yes, perhaps, perhaps there might have been some people in those outlying towns 
that had seen and heard Jesus on other occasions. And perhaps some of them had invited some of those disciples to come and minister in their town and perhaps to stay at their homes. Perhaps some of those people got together and formed some teams to spread the word in their towns about these disciples. And that would have been a very good plan. But we have no evidence of that. And then also, certainly, the first moment that those townspeople heard that these disciples were actually healing the sick and driving out demons, many of them would at least have been curious. Curious to find out if this was all true. And especially people would want to come and be healed. But it's also true that many others, perhaps most, would want nothing to do with these disciples. You'll recall the rejection that the Lord Jesus suffered after he had driven those demons out of that demoniac over there in the Gadarene tombs. Those local townspeople came to Jesus and they told him, leave us. We want nothing more to do with you. But more than just the common distrust that people have for strangers who do odd things, we need to always remember also that there's always a far more sinister element at work in every circumstance. The demonic spiritual world is ever and always vehemently opposed to the gospel. And they fight it at every point. We can't see them, so we don't see their activity. But it's taking place in the hearts and minds of the people. He tells us about that in Ephesians chapter 6. These words I've read to us so often. He says... Therefore, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Folks, the demon world is always at war. They are always at war against the gospel of God. And they'll incite the minds of anyone who will listen to reject the gospel and to drive away those who would present it to them. But also, there is another pervasive truth that's present in this dark world that we live in. And that pervasive truth is that we do love our private sins. Folks, you and I do love our private sins. And we don't want someone else to come in and show the light of the Lord Jesus into our dark world. We want our sins to stay hidden. Jesus spoke about that in John chapter 3. And curiously, just after those wonderful words of John 3, 16, in John 3, 19, he says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works should be exposed. Folks, there are many reasons, every possible reason to influence people, listeners, to reject the gospel. We have our own self-centered sinfulness. Then also, we have the intimidation of others. I see that present especially in the younger generation. Younger people will tell their friends in essence, to reject the tenets of the gospel. But with all of those things added together, those disciples then and you and me now, folks, we're always against 
a formidable force of rejection of this gospel message. It'll always be that way. And so without much explanation at all, Jesus here gives us the end of this verse 5. He tells us there's a time, there's a response for those who reject the gospel. He said there again, whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now I confess to you that these words seem so contrary to the usual pursuit that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit makes towards our lost souls. And the question arises as we read this, does this mean that there really is a limit to the efforts that we are to go to in our evangelism of lost souls? Does this mean that there is a time to quit in our efforts and to not only let the people sink into hell, but to also ourselves literally participate in the judgment against them for their rejection by shaking off the very dust from our feet as a testimony against them. In another instruction to the disciples on another occasion, Jesus had said, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind here on this earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on this earth will be loosed in heaven. Now we might wonder, as those disciples shook the dust off of their feet against those unbelievers, were those people being bound over, as this verse tells us, were those people being bound over to eternal destruction? Or was this perhaps just a stern warning that Lord Jesus was saying to give to these people? We don't know. We would hope that it's just a warning. But Jesus' command also brings the question to us as modern-day disciples who go out and give the message of the gospel. What is to be our response to people who reject the gospel that we give? What's to be our response to those people? I do believe that these words here are true for you and me, just as they were true for those disciples. Yes, we are to spend every effort and every energy that we have within us telling people about the salvation of Christ. But sadly, we're being instructed here to also know that God's Spirit will not contend with the sinful nature of people forever. Sadly. Folks, there are choices that God leaves to men and women. Choices that can determine their eternal destiny. Choices that will bring them either eternal life or eternal death. All of that is made so very clear to us in words given to us in Deuteronomy 30. Let me read to you about these choices. Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 15. There the Lord says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and you're drawn away, and you worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life 
that both you and your descendants may live. That you may love the Lord your God. That you may obey His voice. And that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and your length of days. Did you notice in these words, God is here giving a very judicial pronouncement. He tells us, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. We have something to do with our children and our grandchildren's eternal destiny. And he's telling us that here. And a lot of it may be based upon our own choices. Certainly, our choices that we make over our lifetime. And then when you bring in these words that the Lord Jesus said, whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, they made choices. They would not receive these disciples. Whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Folks, there's a witness. There's a testimony taking place in each of our souls. And that witness, that testimony, is either in our favor or it's against us. If that testimony is in our favor, it'll come from Christ declaring that He has died for us and wiped away all our sins and that we are set free and set free eternally. But if that testimony is against us, if our behavior, if our conduct has been to reject Christ and His gospel, then we also will be rejected eternally. Those were words of authority that we read there a moment ago from Deuteronomy. Now again, yes... Jesus does truly want you and me to accept Him. He does not desire that any should perish. But the reality is, we have choices. And we do make choices. Both good choices and very bad choices. And all in amongst our choosing, His voice, His voice is continually crying out to us, Choose life. Choose life that both you and your descendants, your children... And your grandchildren may live. But sadly, even with His Spirit crying out to our spirit, some people, perhaps many, still refuse to hear His cry of mercy. Their ears become deaf to His voice because they want what they want more. They want none of Him. And to their eternal loss, they commit their souls to the pit of hell. Listen to these words. This is in Hebrews chapter 6. It is impossible, and notice that word, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and they put Him to an open shame. Folks, in those words is a very sad but absolute reality. Those words speak about a person who has come really close, really close to salvation. They have heard the good words of the truth of the gospel. Some might have sat in church pews often. Some even most of their lives. But by their own choices, by those choices that they make, they've turned away from it all. And according to these words from the Lord Jesus that we're studying here today, 
there truly will probably come a time when we who witness for Christ will need to consider doing as these disciples were instructed to do, to accept the decisions that those people have made, to accept that they have willfully turned away from Christ and have gone their own way. Now, folks, I confess to you that I don't know that I'll be able to obey this instruction from the Lord. I know that I must be obedient to Him and His commands. And His instructions are good. Everything that He says to us is good. But at this moment in time, I'm simply not mature enough in my faith to just give up on some of those lost ones. And does not that cause you to weep? It should. Because as I mentioned a moment ago, those lost ones are not just some unknown strangers or perhaps people on the other side of the world. Those lost ones are our loved ones. They're our husbands, our wives, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, and yes, our children and our grandchildren. And folks, these scriptures are so very clear in their description of that sure and certain penalty for those who do refuse the salvation that the Lord Jesus offers. That penalty will be an eternity of unimaginable sufferings in hell with no possibility of hope or relief, only anguished suffering. And we don't have forever. Folks, you and I don't have forever to bring those lost ones onto that narrow path that leads to righteousness. Both our days and their days are truly limited. And while God is still willing to contend with their rebellious spirit, You and I need to be faithful to continually give them the salvation gospel. It's our calling and it's our responsibility both to Christ and to them. One of my favorite hymns that we sing here often has these words, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, weep over the erring ones. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Folks, as I mentioned a moment ago, you and I don't have a lot of time left to minister to their lost souls. And so let's commit ourselves to giving all that we have, all that we are in the days remaining to this special calling of our loved ones to Christ. Let's pray.